The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Hello and welcome. You know who we are, but you don't know why we're here. Well, you you do know why we're here. We're here to talk WCW because this is Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast with Cy and Scottish Danny. I am Cy and with me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Danny, how are you doing, my friend? Not too good today, Cy. Um, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you, mate. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, bud. You okay? Yeah, well, I went to the doctor's this morning and he said I've got a bit of a stiff neck. So he said he's prescribed me a lethal dose of poison uh, today. So <laughs> he said to take it just as we're, as we're recording here. Is that right? Okay. If you suddenly disappear from the call, I will know why. <laughs> uh, you can probably tell by, uh, well, if you've been listening to Nitro Nights show by show, first of all, thank you very much. Secondly, you will be able to tell by our poor attempts at humour as, as we start to the show that we have finally reached one of the big, most important, I suppose, pinnacle historical nights of wrestling in general, I guess. This is the Monday Nitro that aired on the 27th of May 1996, and it all kicks off here. Scott Hall finally arrives. Before we get into the show, the ratings for this particular Monday night in May of 96, Monday Night Raw received a 2.3, whereas Nitro won the evening with a 2.8. So, again, similar kind of numbers to what we've seen previously, Danny, with regards to the, the total number of viewers. But Nitro there with, with a nice, decent little win for itself, I think. Definitely, mate. I mean, the momentum is definitely shifting. And um, this is a big move. This is probably, I'll dare say, this is the biggest move in the in the um, Monday Night Wars. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, what, what I thought we'd do and what I thought we'd uh, sort of... Uh, sort of uh, make people aware, our listeners aware, is that this show here, we're going to run through the episode of Nitro as we normally do, segment by segment, discussing various you know things that are going on at the time and so on. I thought, Danny, that you and I, in some point in the next couple of weeks, when we've seen a little bit more develop with regards to the NWO and so on, we'd record a special bonus episode of Nitro Nights, literally focusing on what was going on around the scott hall and kevin nash's arrival the start of the nwo the timelines the contract negotiations and all that sort of stuff so as we don't kind of uh, get detoured too much from reviewing the episode of nitro itself but still also take the time to really dive into the historic moments that occur on these next few weeks of nitro what do you think to that that sounds cool, mate. Because I've never, I never knew what um, the story was why they jumped to WCW. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that, mate. 
Okay, great. I mean, we'll touch upon some of it now, obviously, because it's going to be, you know, it, it's on the screen of the show that we are talking about. But I think when we we need to, I think how important this is and how much went on behind the scenes in both companies, I think it would be um, good of us to sort of take the time to properly look into that. And, and if people are watching WCW for the first time, show by show, following along with us, which I know some listeners of the podcast are, I know, Danny, you are as well. And I think mean, it's yeah. quite important that we sort of take the time to explain some of these scenarios and some of the some of the goings on behind the scenes but also stay true and and i suppose stay loyal to the format we've used and not get too sidetracked with regards to what we have been doing every week for the last 40 plus weeks i guess yeah that that makes a lot of sense mate and i would um, be happy to do that because a lot of the time it's the wwe documentary narrative out there isn't it Ah, yes. Well, I, I imagine when we sit down to discuss it and I run through a few things, I mean, I've done various bits of research on this for different articles I've written and, and you know other stuff as well. Uh, there's quite a bit with regards to the WWE revisionist history that I can mm. rebunk for you. So Cool. Looking forward to it, mate. Okay. We start this episode of Nitro. I mean, first of all, hidden in the shuffle a little bit, I guess, with how historic this is with Scott Hall arriving, is the fact that Something else relatively historic happens upon this particular evening of Nitro as well. And that is that Nitro now has gone two hours and it will be two hours every Monday for the foreseeable future. This then leads to Monday Night Raw going three hours. And I think it's quite easy to forget how how much of a trendsetter, a pace setter Nitro was back in the day. Because a lot, obviously we know that the WWF goes on to win this Monday Night War, as it's referred to as. However, a lot of what the WWF did was in reaction to what Nitro did first. And again, if you watch the the WWF documentaries, you listen to people talk on the network and, and so on, you're getting very much one side of the argument. I mean, history is written by the winners, uh, is the famous term. So yeah. you're getting very much the WWF standpoint. But when we're actually watching the show week to week, and we'll notice it even more so now, Danny, as we dive into the rest of 96 and through 97 especially, the WWF spends so much of its time reacting, and sometimes reacting relatively slowly, to what Nitro did first. And here we are, going two hours, quite a way before Raw actually went two hours themselves, Danny. Yeah, big time, mate. You can definitely feel a change in the air. And um, the biggest thing that hit me immediately when this show opened was the um, commentators changing. Yeah, this is something that's quite unique as well, I feel, to to Nitro. Mm. Because we see it for the first time here. The show opens with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko as the commentary team which is obviously you know, completely different to what we have seen on anything else. I mean, we have Tony Schiavone on the, on the pay-per-views that we have watched. We, of course, on Nitro have had Bischoff, Mongo, and uh, The Brain, Bobby Heenan, as our commentary team. Zabisco, we've not seen at all, I think, to my knowledge, up until this no. point. No, definitely not. So this is quite a change straight from the off of this two-hour Nitro, but it's something that they went on to do pretty much throughout the, well, for many years anyway, in that Schiavone and Zabisco would provide the commentary and the analysis and so on for the first hour and eric bischoff and his team would take over for the second hour now eric bischoff himself explains this as being purely down to trying to keep things fresh 
is wrestling up until this point have primarily been one hour TV shows, whether that was Nitro itself or the old 605 program from the NWA World Championship Wrestling and so on, or all the stuff like Georgia Championship Wrestling and all the territory TV, world class and so on. They tended to be an hour long program. Uh, Raw, when it first started, of course, was an hour long program. Um, preceding that on WWF TV, Superstars, uh, Primetime, and hour long programs. So going two hours, Bischoff's mindset was we will have a commentary team for the first hour and then a separate commentary team for the second hour in the hope that any concerns they had about viewers kind of getting, uh, shall we say, I, I don't want to say bored, but feeling a bit mundane with what they're watching. Yeah, it almost it almost gets freshened up with two new voices when they come back from the advert on the top of the hour, Donny. And that's something that WWE would um, try to copy as well. As you said, um, reaction, they would uh, just rip this off in their um, uh, future in 97, 98, I remember. Okay, Uh, interesting. Uh, We start with our new commentary team of Tony and Larry running through some of the stuff we will see on this particular episode of Nitro. Uh, And we're told something that interests me straight off the bat right away. We're told we're going to see Sting wrestle Scott Steiner in singles action. And we've been talking a great deal about Scott Steiner in this particular era, Danny. Yeah. About how incredible the guy looks, how fantastic his in-ring work is, and so on. So getting to see him in singles action is going to be pretty spectacular. But against Sting as well, that's quite a big deal, isn't it? That's massive. I mean, they've been putting a lot of television time into Sting. And as you said, Scott Steiner's definitely climbing the ladder um, this is a huge main event. I was really happy when um, I chose this, uh, put it on the WWE Network. I was thinking, oh, what's the main event going to be of the first two-hour Nitro? And it's this very pleasantly surprised. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're also, though, I suppose, to balance out our excitement. We don't want to get too excited, <laughs> do we? We're also apparently going to see the giant defend the world title against <laughs> Shark, which... Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to end up spending too much time upon when we get to that, I think. But (laughs) our first in-ring action of this two-hour historic Nitro uh, comes from a tag team contest. And we have the American Males, Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, and they're taking on the team of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Now, I'm I'm sometimes quick to criticise commentary teams when they spend a great deal of a match talking about the angle that one of the competitors or two of the competitors in this case are in. We have Flair and Arn obviously heading to the Great American Bash in a couple of weeks to take on uh, Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael, the football playing duo in a tag team contest there. But here, I think Shivani and Zabisco, despite the fact they regularly go back to this contest upcoming in a few weeks and are really trying to get that match over, I don't think it actually hinders what we're watching too much, Danny. What did you think? No, I completely agree with that because um, a lot of fans will be tuning into this just based off of curiosity alone. It'll be like, oh, what are they going to do? So the smart thing would be to have a long match in the in the opening and discuss your future pay-per-views, discuss the angles, discuss all the storylines that Ric Flair's in because Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko covered everything, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, it seems that Flair's involved in pretty much everything at the moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably going to be Lex Luger's next challenger for the TV title. He's probably yeah. going to take on Conan <laughs> for the US Championship. He, you know, There's a lot going on with the Nature Boy at this point in time. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the match starts with the four horsemen dominating Scotty Riggs for quite a while before the, uh, well, effectively all four guys end up fighting on the outside for a period. Ric Flair runs to his VIP section and grabs a bottle of champagne. I'm not too sure what happened with that afterwards. I mean, I, I think he, did he give it to woman maybe? I think he did. Yeah. But what I want to give a shout out to that VIP section because it's looking better than it was last week, <laughs> but it's not used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the thing they've got. this. <laughs> They've got Ric Flair or the Horseman's VIP section set up. All that lovely food, all this bo- bottles of champagne that we're told cost, probably cost more than my house. And um, nobody goes and sits there. It's just sat there for like, the whole two-hour nitro for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> it's, it's so brilliantly stupid. <laughs> uh, the Four Horsemen work over Scotty Riggs' knee for a duration before we get quite a cool-looking insiguri from Scotty Riggs. Then we get Ric Flair and the ref going back and forth a little bit and the pushing match between Flair and the ref and Flair kind of bumps into the corner for the referee and so on. The crowd adore this. They are screaming and getting on their feet and so on whilst the referee is giving Ric Flair some shit. Danny, what are your thoughts on this? Because Flair at times will use this, this kind of spot with the referee to get the crowd on their feet, but he will also quite often bump for a referee. So what are your thoughts on this particular spot that Ric Flair brings out here? I think there's two. I've had a long think about this as this was going on. I think maybe three wrestlers that could get away with this. No, no, I'm going back to two. I think Triple H and Ric Flair are the only two wrestlers that could pull this spot off. Um, If you had someone like The Undertaker do this, it would make no sense. Um, (laughs) And I think it depends on the referee as well. I think Earl Hebno is a really good example in the WWE um, of doing this. But I can see why fans are frustrated um, about it. What do you think about it, Si? Um, It's it's kind of uh, two sides to the same coin for me, I think, Hmm. in a way. I like the way that Flair will use it if the crowd kind of drop into a lull because the yeah. crowd instantly reacts and it gets them on their feet and it gets them noisy again. So that's quite a clever tool. However, if you've got, say, your world champion, Ric Flair spends a lot of time in his career as world champion, bumping for a referee, is that good for your world champion to be doing? Hitting the deck from a referee and so on? Uh, maybe I'm looking too much into it. It doesn't It doesn't bother me, providing it's used relatively sparingly, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that same thing could be said for Triple H because most of the time he was a world champion and he was uh, bumping a lot for El Hebner. But yeah, it's something we could look into in the future, definitely. Yes, indeed. Uh, ultimately, the referee loses control of this match and it all just breaks down into chaos and everyone's fighting and all sorts is going on. He, the referee's running around all over the place trying to gain control but just looks ridiculous sprinting from corner to corner. Um, woman eventually rakes the eyes of Bagwell, who then staggers into an Arn Anderson DDT, which is fantastic, as always. Yeah. And Flair pins Bagwell for the win following this Arn Anderson DDT, because the DDT is a finish, and you should respect the fucking DDT. Always, mate, always. (laughs) (laughs) We get a weird line here from Larry Sabisco, though, because after Arn's DDT, Bagwell is out, and Shivani points out that he is out, and Zabisco responds with, he's out like a mackerel. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, mac- mackerel is obviously a fish. Are they, yeah. are they notorious for being unconscious? <laughs> I have no idea, mate. Out like a mackerel. Hmm. 
interesting there. But I thought this was a great opener. I thought this was really good. Yeah, this was really, really fun. It was nice to see um, Marcus Bagwell get a hot tag uh, during this match as well. Normally, it's Scotty Riggs who gets the hot tag in their matches. So that was really cool. Um, Really, really good way to kick off the first ever two-hour Nitro. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, we then get, well, I suppose the, the the VIP section was used a little bit here. Nobody mm-hmm. sat at it, but they kind of stopped next to it with Mean Gene and Arn and Flair with Liz and Woman are interviewed by, by Mean Gene. And Arn Anderson here again is absolutely superb. I mean, Flair's great as well. Flair runs down the Macho Man, so to further that kind of angle. He talks about Mongo and Kevin Green a little bit further as well. But Arn Anderson here comes out with a couple of lines that I just think are absolute gold. One of them, referring again to Green and McMichael, he says he's never met a football player I couldn't roll over to get to a better fight. And I'm just thinking, oh man, it just makes them look... It's just making out Green and Mongo are just insignificant to him and not on his level. I thought that was superb. Oh, so good, mate. I mean, Arn Anderson, kind of uh, just a heel promo is just so fantastic. He has a dig at the football players because in their sport, they have to wear protection all over their bodies. And Arn says, in our house, you don't do that. And he also then says, uh, he's never met a woman Ric Flair couldn't have like that. And snaps his fingers, which oh. is just superb again. It's just, yeah. I mean, Anderson is an absolute star, isn't he? He really is, mate. And I'm really happy we get to see him every week. And I'm actually happy that um, this match actually ended in a clean way. Yeah, yeah. Because well, obviously you had women's interference and stuff, but at least we yeah. had the pinfall rather than some other kind of nonsense DQ count out bullshit non <laughs> non finish. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of nonsense bullshit, we go to look at that segue. Well, what a professional! Look at that. That is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have the um, a bit more from Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael with a really very very mid nineties workout video kind of vignette segment showing them both in the gym lifting weights egging each other on doing quite bad hulk hogan impressions (laughs) what did you think of this video here danny i thought this was an lsd dream um because (laughs) (laughs) this was very very weird uh especially the parts where mongo was kept screaming flair 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 it was like oh what is this <laughs> this shouldn't you have saved this for saturday night rather than put it on the main show <laughs> yeah i mean i appreciate mongo and kevin green aren't going to be on the weekly television very mm. much in the build-up to the pay-per-view and we're only a couple of weeks away from the great american bash so if they appear on every nitro between now and then it's still not overkill for them yep. but also i feel that i mean mongo is he's still very new to this world and i've basically been a commentator for his time in it kevin green is obviously again incredibly new to this world it'd be very easy i think to overexpose them on the weekly television and then maybe that would put a spotlight on their shortcomings before the pay-per-view yeah i can see that mate so pre-taped is better for them yeah i think yeah i think you're right i think you're right Uh, Following this, we have a match between two guys. I'm interested to know, Danny, if you're aware of either of these guys are. Two guys in the ring here. We have Steve Dahl, and he is facing a guy called The Mauler. Now, this match here is famous for 
a particular reason we're going to get to very shortly. But Steve Doll, are you aware of who that is? Have you seen this guy before? No, never. I've never seen either of these wrestlers. So, okay. Uh, do you remember the tag team Well Done? Yes. Yeah, I do remember that. This is Steve Dunn from Well Done. Oh right. Oh. Well, no, I had no idea that was him. <laughs> ah, okay. And are you aware of the Beverly Brothers? Yes, I think one of their sons is in NXT now. Okay. Uh, Mike Enos was Blake Beverly, and he is the Mauler here. Oh, all right. That's amazing. That that they just flew under the radar, didn't they? Well, yeah, yeah. And I don't think we see a great deal from these guys uh, again. To be fair, I'm not sure. I mean, this is very much. Saturday night or power hour fodder, I think, this match. But the reason they're on this Nitro at first impressions could be because they're trying to bulk out to the show because they've gone two hours. Mm. Or it could be because they don't want to interrupt a bigger, more high-profile match with what happens when we return from an ad break, Danny. Yeah, that's very shocking. Because when I put this on, I was thinking, okay, we're going to watch this whole match. I didn't know that this was the re- this was where um, Scott Hall came up, but we'll get into that in a minute. But I didn't know this was the match. I thought it was at the end of the show. Ah, okay, interesting. I mean, obviously, you've you've seen a big a big premise of Nitro Nights and why I think this show works so well. It was kind of the pitch I had when I spoke to you about doing this show in the very beginning. Yeah, was that you've not seen. I would say 95% of what happens in WCW, especially with the weekly television and how stories develop. You've, you've seen moments by your own admission, yeah. yes? Yes. Okay. So with regards to this Nitro then, have you ever watched this Nitro from start to finish before we started this project? No. Right. You've obviously seen the moment we're about to talk about now with Scott Hall in the ring with a microphone. Yeah. How much more have you seen from this show? Nothing. Um, as uh, this was the first time watching it, um, I'd, on those um, documentaries, WWE DVD documentaries, you'd see um, Scott Hall coming down the stairs and things like that. We're going to get into, but you, your focus is never on who's in the ring. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he obviously, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get to it in just a second. Scott Hall comes down the stairs, cuts his promo, and so on. Uh, we also get. A bit more from him later in the show. Were, were you not aware that was part of the same program? No, I had no idea. Um, that's what I was going to say to you, uh, especially towards the end. That had zero idea that actually happened. Right. Interesting. Okay. Ah, okay. Very good. I mean, again, it shows the revisionist history that the WWF mm. puts forward for these certain things. Yeah, definitely, mate. Basically, what we get is the match starts, and it's, it's it's an okay contest. But nobody really cares about Steve Dunn versus Blake <laughs> Beverly, do they? Let's be honest. No. We go to an ad break. We come back, and Scott Hall's already there. You come, f- you, We come back from the ad break, and we're looking at the hard cam, and there's a little bit of a commotion in the crowd in the, sort of the top left-hand corner of the screen. And you can see Scott Hall is already walking down the steps in his now iconic, I guess, uh, jeans and denim waistcoat effort, no shirt or anything like that on underneath. The toothpick is there as always. Yeah. Scott Hall walks down to the, um, down to the ring. We have Tony Schiavone basically doing his best. Oh my goodness. I'm so surprised voice. Whilst Larry Zabisco doesn't even notice it's happening. Larry Zabisco carries <laughs> on trying to call the match, which I thought was a really nice touch to be fair. That was, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hall goes through the crowd and the crowd are reacting. It was kind of like a ripple effect, wasn't it? Like throwing a stone in a pond and the, and the ripples expanding throughout the crowd because 
there's no big fanfare for him. There's no massive spotlights pointing him out or anything like that, which is what you would get on a WWE television program. And it just, to me, it felt like this guy shouldn't be here. What, what did you think when you first saw Scott Hall walking down those steps and, and going, going through the crowd and then jumping the barricade? How did, how did you take that in? What were your, what were your thoughts on that, Danny? The atmosphere definitely changed. Even watching it um, today or yesterday, as I watched it, it was like, oh, this match is kind of boring. You kind of just, your focus is shifting elsewhere. And then when you see Scott Hall walking down, um, especially that there's no spotlight on him and you see every head in the crowd turning towards the left and they're like, oh, wow, 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 it's Razor Ramon. Um, the, the shift definitely changes, does it? And then the match itself just becomes irrelevant. Well, the match, yeah, it just kind of stops. It's uh, still going. Well, okay, it's still going. But then as Scott Hall gets in the ring, he asks for a microphone. And, and uh, also, whilst this is happening, he's walking behind Shivani and Zabisco. And you realise that they are very much relegated um, B-team commentary, aren't they? Because yeah. whenever we see Bischoff and his commentary team, he's sat on the ramp with this big WCW desk and all the elaborate lights around him and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Zabisco and Shivani are just sat with a little couple of shitty monitors and a tiny little <laughs> table tucked away in the corner, which which tickled me. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Paul gets a microphone, gets in the ring. The referee is basically then stopping the guy who's wrestling. Colonel Robert Parker, who is the manager of the Mauler, is basically telling him to get out the ring. The ref gets out the ring. Everyone just buggers off to let Scott Hall have his say. I found that very weird. Um, I. I mean, obviously, we know this is booked and things like that. But if I was either of those, I'd be like very insulted that my match just got stopped because mm. uh, a guy from WWF came in. Yes, indeed. Well, no, 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 not from WWF, Danny. They never say that. Oh yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, effectively, Scott Hall. What happens after this moment? He's he's in the ring. He's wearing his double denim getup with his boots and looking as cool as Scott Hall does. I mean, if anyone. I knew, including myself, tried to wear jeans and a denim waistcoat and walk around looking like that. We'd look an absolute arsehole. But <laughs> Scott Hall here, he just looks incredibly cool, doesn't he? He really does. And the way he cut the promo, this is 100% Razor around from the WWF. This is no Scott Hall just yet. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, and this leads to various lawsuits and so mm. on. Um, and you know the WWF trying to sue Scott Hall, trying to sue uh, Ted Turner, WCW in general, and, and all sorts. But we will get into that on another occasion. Uh, Scott Hall then cuts possibly one of the most famous promos of all time. I mean, the opening lines everyone is aware of. Everyone quotes. I mean, I, I use it all the time. You know, I hear somebody on TV say, "You know who I am." I respond with, "But you don't know why I'm here." <laughs> <laughs> and it could just be an episode of Friends, or it could be the news, or whatever. It's just ground into my everyday life. Yeah, uh, I mean, th those opening couple of lines are really, really well known. They really uh, are. I mean, even wrestlers have tried to rip that off when they've jumped ship to TNA or something like that in the future, but it never goes as well as it did here. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, the rest of the promo, I think, kind of gets not forgotten about, but it's not as I suppose iconic as those opening couple of lines. And then maybe the last couple of lines where, where Scott Hall references having a challenge, you want to go to war, then we'll go to war and all that sort of stuff. It's quite, 
there are moments from it that are so iconic, but the actual whole promo itself is it is it does touches a comedy in there when he talks about Eric Bischoff looking like a Ken doll or a weatherman. Yeah. Um, there's there's the the mocking of WCW being a formerly a southern territory, and they're still even at this point in '96, they weren't running many shows. Um, much further north than well, they, they had a couple of ventures into New York, but not, not very successful at this point in '96. Uh, and we have Scott Hall saying, you know, anybody else in WCW, uh-huh, uh-huh, in mocking them in a real sort of you know stereotypical redneck southern tone. Yeah. Um, I, and it, the whole promo itself is is just absolute gold. What the hell but is going what? on here? But the motor, well, he just got reversed right there. But the about? motor runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Well, What's what going? the hell? Wait a minute. Somebody give me a mic. Give me a mic. What's with this? Wait, we need security here. I, we, I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm seeing. This, you people. What's with him here? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is Billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me? I go... Wherever I want, whenever I want. Listen, we can, we can And where, oh, where is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe, comes out here later tonight. I got a challenge for him, for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. It really is, mate. It's like this um, This was definitely worth uh, going into this venture with you uh, for. This has been brilliant, this promo. But I just keep going back to it. It was like this was str- Razor Ramon straight off of WWF television. It was. It was. It's... Um... And again, that's why we had certain issues with certain lawsuits mm. and so on. But when we record our NWO episode in a few weeks' time, I want to get through a couple more weeks of the television first, so yeah. we're not giving out too many spoilers before discussing certain aspects. But yeah, it did lead to certain lawsuits and WCW having to alter certain things that they said on television, almost giving a disclaimer in a way to say they're not WWF guys at one point. But we'll get into that ah. on another show. So yeah. uh, Eventually, Scott Hall... It leaves the ring, and the commentary team are incredibly, you know, confused. They don't really know what's going on, what's happened. This is ridiculous. You know, this is this is unpredicted. This is crazy, and there's a real sense of realism 
to it, isn't there? I suppose it it, it feels real. Yes, um, as the way Larry Spisco is selling it as well, especially. Um, yeah, it really does feel real. It's like okay, we have to get back to business now, but that just happened. And then later on, as as the night's going on, Eric Bischoff just adds in a few more um, sayings that you just make this feel more legit. Yeah, it's I mean it's so well done. There's so many subtle touches. It's, but Bischoff here is an absolute star, by the way. You know the way this was put together, this whole angle, the way it was devised, and and so on, and then the little comments he makes throughout his hour of commentary which we'll come to very soon there's so many little touches he adds they just i don't know if when you're watching them first time round back in 96 if they would have as big an impact as they did re-watching it now in 2022 with hindsight however yeah. at the time in 96 it's just sowing little seeds into people's minds for what's going to be coming up and I just think it's so, so clever. And you take you also, you've got to think, we didn't have the internet in the form it is now. If this happened now, it would be ruined. Yeah. You couldn't do something like this now. But this here, it genuinely feels like, and when we get to the later segments as well, we'll touch upon it more, I imagine. It genuinely feels like Razor Ramon has just walked out on Monday Nitro and is challenging everyone to a fight. Yeah. And it is very much like the Lex Luger debut we saw. It's like, wow, this guy's from WWF. They're coming over here. Wow. Like, what's going on? And it just leaves fans, especially without the internet. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. They've just jumped in from uh, WWF. We have no idea. But you do get that small um, handful of fans who are on the internet that even I don't think they saw this coming. Not this early on, especially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, we basically go to an ad break now, which you know is, is something, again, even though we've not long had an ad break, it's it's a, a thing live television would do. If something like this happened, if something unpredictable or unpredicted, apologies, happened on a live TV broadcast of any nature, they would go to an advert to try and sort it out without having to be live on air, which is what Nitro does as well, which again adds to that level of realism, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's also a, a way to get fans to ring up their friends and say, oh, turn over to Nacho, Razor Ramon's just debuted. So that's a very smart uh, move as well. Yeah, exactly. Spot on, Danny. Spot on. I wonder how many people, uh, when we do our NWO special, I think I'll try and find this information out. That I, mm. I should be able to access it somewhere. I wonder how many people turned over to Nitro at this point in time. Oh, I can imagine there'll be loads. It's just like just the the tease of Razor Ramon, even after he hit that Razor Ramon pose um, outside yes. the ring. Um, I can just imagine just fans just frolicking over. Yes, exactly. Uh, when we return from the ad break, we have Sergeant Pittman taking on Diamond Dallas Page, and I mean this is a match with not a great deal going on with it. It's just another contest, I think, to try and. Uh, push pay, push Diamond Dallas Page a bit more, Danny. I mean, ultimately, we have a couple of moments where... I mean, a couple of comedy moments, I guess. We have the press-ups challenge at the very beginning where Page sort of stands there, does a stupid salute to Sergeant Pittman and says, drop down, give me 20, give, does a couple of press-ups. And then Pittman, trying to prove a point, drops down and attempts to do one-armed push-ups, which I suppose Page is supposed to sell as like, oh my God, and the crowd is supposed to react to but the problem was Sergeant Pittman looked like he really fucking struggled to do these one-handed press-ups. 
<laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> Um, you say this is uh, might be put on the card to push DDP a little bit. I felt that this was put the opposite because um, I felt that DDP here was just kind of being pushed down rather than being pushed up. Okay, interesting. How do you mean? Because because of the the caliber of opponent, or, or uh, what, what what are you referencing to? Sort of the caliber of opponent, but also. Two weeks ago, this man was a world championship um, number one contender. Um, and then when he got screwed out of that, it was like, okay, then he um, th- he hasn't appeared. Well, then he did, he has appeared, and now he's wrestling uh, Craig Pittman rather than uh, being in, then going to the cameras and saying, oh, I got screwed, I got screwed, and um, claiming his um, rightful world championship uh, match. Mm. Okay, yeah, interesting. I didn't that didn't even enter my mind. I think you're right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of it's kind of like why isn't he angry about that instead? He's here telling Craig Pittman to do press ups and just kind of being a comedy heel back to being back to square one before the pay per view. Interesting. Okay. I think you're I think you're really onto something there. That didn't even enter my mind. That's that's a really, really good point. Uh you mentioned the comedy aspect of it. One thing I did get a kick out of was, was seeing Diamond Dallas Page do the tangled in the TV cable thing on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's so slapstick and so stupid. But I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. But it just goes to what I was saying. It was like, this man should be dropping all of this and um, taking a more serious tone and saying, I've, I've got screwed out of the World Championship. Why is Lex Luger in my spot instead? But instead, he's just kind of doing this. But I did also laugh at that. Mm, no, it was good. Uh, ultimately, we get to the finish where Teddy Long, who is the manager of Sergeant Pittman, um, gets tangled up a little bit. It's a bit of a mess, really, with Diamond Dallas Page and, and Pittman and Teddy Long. And with Pittman distracted as he's checking on his manager, he turns around, gets hit with a diamond cutter for Diamond Dallas Page to win. So I suppose at least we're getting the diamond cutter over again yeah. here. Uh, we then get news that Randy Savage is suspended. And I think this is where we play a little video showing Savage being crazy, Danny. Yeah, this went really, really well. Um, they highlighted everything, didn't they? <laughs> they got every se- segment that showed the Macho Man being um, a bit of a mentalist um, uh, in one in this little two-minute video. Yeah, exactly. And he's banned from the building and so on, which again is a lovely little throwback to the Scott Hall promo because Scott Hall references the Nacho man and says that, you know, schmuck can't even get in the building. I go where I want, when I want, because Savage obviously isn't allowed in. So again, it's it's really clever little touches, I think, that tie into all sorts that's happening on Nitro from this supposed WWF guy, Danny. Yeah, it's really, really piecing together very well. Hmm. Uh, what follows this however is uh, it's so difficult for me because we're now going to see the shark who is of course john tenter who was earthquake in the wwf earthquake in 1990 the whole thing with hogan was superb earthquake as part of the natural disasters tag team with typhoon as a kid i mean i, I was 10 11 years of age when they were tag team champions i looked at these two massive guys thinking you know nobody's going to be able to beat them they're, they're huge monsters and all the stories you hear about john tenter and so on are that he was just a lovely lovely guy however here shark john tenter tries to cut a baby face promo with mean gene backstage 
because he's no longer with the Dungeon of Doom. And he's shouting and ranting about how the giant is the new favorite and he's a massive guy, but I'm a massive guy too, and so on. And it just doesn't work for me, Danny. How did you take in this this Shark or John Tenter interview? Very similarly, because he was kind of a baby face promo of his life, but I just couldn't get past that bloody face paint on him. It was like, <laughs> that's the only thing that made me just like... It was like it just took me out of it. I wish he'd put the face paint on after the promo and I would have bought it a bit more because it just looked ridiculous. It's his beard, isn't it? He's got his beard. He's got this black beard <laughs> and then he's got white face paint in his beard to make it look like <laughs> shark teeth. Yes. And it was like, you can, I mean, you could tell me the most serious news ever and I just wouldn't believe it because it's like, oh, yeah, it. He's just referring to himself as a shark and things like that. It's just, why can't it be like um, Rick Steiner? He never really referred to himself as an actual dog. It was more like a, a nickname. Mm. <laughs> and this, um, yeah, I just couldn't get into this um, his promo. But he did cut uh, his, a promo of, um, yeah, he, he cut a good babyface promo, but I just couldn't get into it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, mate, fair enough. Then we get a another promotional video which is our, I think, our third now already, an hour into the show. We had the Savage one, we had the Kevin Green and Mongo one, and now we have a Hulk Hogan one, with <laughs> Mean Gene introducing it as saying, you know, Hogan's out making a movie at the moment or making a TV show, hobnobbing with Hollywood stars. Uh, let's see the celebrities that Hulk Hogan has been hanging around with whilst he's been away from WCW, and we miss him loads, as Gene said. <laughs> so he's referring to Hogan being absent in the last few weeks and uh, away filming whatever he's filming and he's out you know rubbing shoulders or rubbing elbows whatever the term may be with celebrities apparently danny yeah do you know what as i was watching this i thought okay this could be a pointless video of hulk hulk, to hype up hulk Hulk, how good he is and how much of a celebrity is but then i as i was watching i kept thinking is this the setup to hollywood hogan is this like a subtle hint um, to show that he's above wrestling or he thinks he's above wrestling? It could be, or it could be just a stupid thing of like, oh, these are my friends and we know fans are going to be watching this Nitro, so I might as well get this on there because I'm not going to be there myself. What do you think, Si? Um, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Mm. Now, looking back with regards to, I suppose, the first time you're watching this, I can understand why that may be a thought that runs through your mind. The whole Hollywood Hogan character that he becomes shortly and so on. But, and again, I need to go back and look at some of my notes from, from previous uh, researches and projects I've worked on and so on. But I don't think Hogan was tied in to be the third man at this stage yet. Ah, uh, I got you. I got you. I'm so not just, sure it was convinced. Uh, in it, fact, I, in fact, I know it wasn't because yeah. Hogan is still away for a little while when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash stuff is running and Hogan actually, ho, but if, effectively, and again, we'll cover this in our NWO episode, but Bischoff approached Hogan about turning heel way before signing Hall and Nash and the whole NWO thing became an idea. He was just talking about Hogan turning heel in, as a general turn, with no specifics in mind. Hogan didn't want to do it. 
he was he was definitely not up for that idea. Um, we've seen the reactions Hogan has been getting in the recent weeks. He's been getting boos and 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 not very positive uh, crowd reactions at all. When the Hogan, sorry, when the Hall and Nash stuff really started getting going on the weekly television, and you know, there's there's a moment at Bash, uh, sorry, the Great American Bash coming up as well. Hogan is still absent for all of this. Hogan asks Bischoff to fly down and see him where he's filming this movie. I believe it's Santa with muscles he's filming at this point. So he asks Bischoff to fly down and see him. And in his trailer there on the the film set, he asks Bischoff outright, who is the third man? Uh, Bischoff, and again, I'm, I'm quoting directly from Eric Bischoff himself here. Bischoff says that his response back to Hogan was, who do you think it should be? And Hogan responded with, you're looking at him. So at this point, Hogan being the third man, I don't know if Bischoff had thought about it already, but it was definitely not on the cards, not on the horizon whatsoever. And it's going to be a few weeks before this. Um, Again, when we do our NWO special in a couple of weeks' time, we'll get into this a lot more. But Sting initially was strongly thought of as being the third man because they weren't convinced that they could get a Hogan turn or anything like this. Uh, yeah. Even even right up to the day, they were concerned about what Hogan was going to do. So, yeah, this video is is not shown. I, I can completely see where you're coming from, one hundred percent. But this video is not shown with that with that in mind, to my knowledge. It's just literally blowing smoke up old Terry Bollier's ass. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes all the sense in the world, mate. Yeah, it's that. It just it just came off that way, didn't it? It was like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm best friends with this with George Foreman with everyone Dennis Rodman. It was like okay, mate. Just yeah, I think you're definitely right with that. Do you know what else is really funny about this? Mm. Mean Gene is plugging this video package as being a we miss Hulk Hogan at the moment from World <laughs> Championship Wrestling. Let's see who he's been hanging around with. Okay, now he's 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 openly and directly and blatantly referencing the period of time he has spent away from WCW now. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to see pictures of Hogan on the red carpet. You know, we're going to see pictures of Hogan out dining with with co-stars from his movies or whatever. Every clip they show with Rodman with Foreman, with, I think, Sugar Ray was there, and so on. Um, they're all from 93, 94, 95, <laughs> 96. You know, there's nothing modern day. This is all incredibly old footage that we've already seen on WCW Saturday Night <laughs> before Nitro debuted. So it's just a load of bollocks, really. Oh, my God. I didn't catch that side. Dude, that's really cool. <laughs> well, the Foreman one, for example, the, 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 the George Foreman one is him training for uh, one of his very first WCW matches. Oh, wow. And that was so, years the, before the, this. Exactly. And they're trying to pass it off as Hogan's like, hobnobbing with celebrities now. It's like, come on. <laughs> wow. Just more Hogan nonsense. Indeed. Indeed. But there we go. Uh, we get then Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan out to complete the commentary uh, duties for the rest of the show. And there's something about Bischoff and Heenan that I, I really like. They've got a great dynamic. And Heenan in this in this period and in, in this era, I think is absolute gold, Danny. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we say every week he's just he's just being a star. Um Eric Bischoff selling um the Scott Hall debut was he sold that very, very well. And 
the lack of Mongo here. Um, it's getting a bit better because we know he's going to become a wrestler now. But um, as you said, the dynamic yeah. is just brilliant. It just, I uh, just really enjoyed it. And you're right, the dynamic between Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff is just getting better. So much better, in fact, that you hardly noticed Mongo McMichael was gone. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shake. That's a good shake. Uh, it's funny for me now, going forward for the rest of the show, and the show moves incredibly quickly. I feel. I mean, there's a lot going on, but not masses for us to talk about. I find. Yeah. But we'll still we'll still go through it in our, in our usual method. However, Eric Bischoff quite openly states when he first starts his commentary duties that there was an interruption earlier on the show, but we're not going to dignify that by talking about it. And then goes on to talk about it for the next fucking hour. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, not, it's just funny. But what comes next is the world title match, which very clearly, you know, <laughs> the impression we get from, the, from our commentary team is that it doesn't really matter. Because even though it's a world title match between the giant who is defending his title against Shark, they're all talking about the giant facing Lex Luger at the next pay-per-view for the world <laughs> title. Not, not even hinting at the, the slightest chance that it could be the Shark versus Luger main eventing the pay-per-view. This match is incredibly slow. Just two big guys bumping into each other and then staring at each other and, and huffing a lot and, and fuffing hair out of their face and all sorts. Eventually, we get Jimmy Hart distracting the Shark. We get a choke slam. The giant wins... You know, one, two, three there. Have you got anything you want to add to this particular contest, Danny? Yeah, I just had a question, Ty. Do okay. you think do you think Shark was actually legitimately well over five hundred pounds at this point? No. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> but no, the announcers kept saying it and I was like, he can't be heavier than the the, the Giants, because he was much shorter. In the WWF, and and of course all of these figures are you know, manufactured and they go up and down weight and height wise just to suit whatever they're doing at that moment in time. Yeah. But back in the WWF, when he wrestled as earthquake, there was no mention of him being near 500 pounds. Yeah. Okay. And they were really quite keen to push the fact that this guy was the size he was when they faced Hogan, because we're still in the era in 1990 and SummerSlam and so on of Hogan vanquishing the big monsters. Yeah. Um, I believe he was around 400 pounds. Yeah. When he was wrestling at SummerSlam 90. Um, I'm not sure if that's what he was billed at. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I think that's roughly what they said on the TV ish 380, 400, something like that. Now, during his run as one half of the natural disasters, he was still, he looked relatively the same. He wasn't much bigger. Uh, he was obviously older, but he wasn't much bigger. And the weight that they were billed at, again, would reflect on being around 380, 390, 400 pounds, I guess, potentially. Again, I'm, I've not got the facts and figures in front of me. Here, as Shark, he is heavier. He looks heavier in his build and so on. But he doesn't look a hundred pounds or hundred and forty pounds heavier. <laughs> so yeah. I think this five hundred pound number is just absolute fabrication by Mr. Bischoff. Yeah, and it's to hype up the giant um, beating him, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Big Bubba comes out though, dressed like some really weird, I suppose, backing dancer for the village people. <laughs> I get, I yeah. guess. 
and he cuts the giant's hair. But we're very quick to be informed by our commentary team that he's only cutting half of his hair. Wow. I just, uh, yeah, I didn't catch that. Um, he did only cut his he- uh, half of his hair, didn't he? Mm. So I'm afraid that means it looks like we're heading towards Shark and Big Bubba in the future. But never mind. You've got to take the rough with the smooth, I suppose, Danny. <laughs> Definitely, mate. Next up, we have Max, spelt with two X's, of course. Uh, of course, facing our television champion, Lex Luger. It's great seeing Luger out, I think, as a singles competitor here, because he is the television champion. So I feel that he should be defending that title on TV, because that's the nature of the beast. And here he is wrestling Max, who we did know as Max Muscle previously, hanging around with DDP, Danny, if you remember. Yes, very early on. That's right. That's right. Um, despite saying that he isn't going to, um, you know, reference this interruption that happened earlier on, he isn't going <laughs> to dignify the interruption at all. Eric Bischoff decides to talk about it once more, and he references Scott Hall as that goof and says that he has uh, a challenge waiting for Eric Bischoff. And Bischoff says, that's fine. He can come and see me. That's no problem. We'll talk about it. So, yeah, again, not dignifying that interruption earlier by still talking about it. Um, Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But did did you catch um, Lex Luger having the Kane pyro here? Yes, I did. I got a note about that new pyro for Luger. And he (laughs) likes a bit of pyro going off when he flexes, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, don't we all? (laughs) Of course. Of course. If I I, I ever do the double bicep pose, I'll get my kids to stand next to me with a couple of sparklers. Um, (laughs) They're all like, not again, Dad. It's like, shut up. Look how great I am. Here, it's, it's just two massive, powerful men just mm. working each other over in that aspect. Uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed this for what it was. It's not going to ever you know, headline a pay-per-view. It's not exactly a five-star classic. We know what Luger is about by this stage. Uh, we know Max Muscle isn't exactly... Well, it's not the second coming of Ric Flair, so we put it that way to try and be kind. Yeah. And it, we get what we get. Two, imp- two guys with impressive physiques trying to outpower each other. Um, fans absolutely love Lex Luger. Eventually, Luger wins with the rack, which looked very, very good on such a big guy as Max. Yeah. He struggles to get him up, but he does eventually. Uh, we have a few great moments as well. There's a power slam by both, and uh, Max looks like he's potentially hurt his leg when he power slams Luger, but battles through the rest of the contest. Um, yeah, Luger wins via submission. How, how did you find this, Danny? I enjoyed this match, um, especially because Max, we've only seen him very, very uh, sparringly, but um, yeah, it was good in, outing by Max, and I wonder if the next time we see him, if you have another X on his name. Yeah, maybe he adds an X per match he has. Yeah. Or perhaps it's, perhaps, it's, perhaps it's every 10 matches, because X is obviously Roman numerals for 10. Oh, yeah, it could perhaps be. Ev- yeah, so so far he's had 20 matches in his career. <laughs> we should keep tabs on how many matches we see Max in and just like fill in the X's for him. Let's do it, mate. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got far too much time on your hands. <laughs> uh, after the contest. The total package is speaking with Mean Gene, who's a busy little boy tonight. He's all over the place, isn't he? Talking to various people, Danny. He really is. I mean, I think they're going to have to hire a new backstage um, announcer just to keep up the workload. Yeah, Gene's earning his money this week. Uh, He, Luger, that is, sorry, he says he wants to face every big man that WCW has before the Great American Bash. 
um, to, to, to build up to facing the giant, who is the biggest of all, obviously, for the world title. And the big question I feel that we're getting pushed onto us at the moment from the commentary team, from Luger's promo, and so on, is can Luger get the giant in the rack? That mm. seems to be the angle or the story they're kind of adding to this world title contest in a few weeks' time, Danny, doesn't it? It really does, and I'm, I'm happy that it's gone in that direction because it's like, okay, can he do it? And it leaves you questioning, but has he already done it, though? Uh, I don't know. Has he? Yeah, it's not coming to mind. I don't. Maybe he hasn't. But if he hasn't, fair play to WCW for that. Mm. It's good because you've got a little added, a little added extra to the match, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. Before we get to the actual finish, however, we get Eric Bischoff once again talking about that thing he said he wasn't going to talk about, <laughs> and Bischoff kind of. And I liked this because it was something different. It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, smash you in the mouth, you know, glaringly obvious. He's talking off microphone to someone who I'm assuming is a director or a producer. And Bischoff's there saying, no, no, if he wants to come out here, he can come at the end of the hour. He can come at the top of the hour, at the end of the show. If he wants to talk to me, he can do it then. And it's kind of off microphone, but loud enough so the mic can pick it up. And then he comes back to the microphone and apologizes for the interruption and carries on the commentary very clever little touch there i think yeah definitely and bobby heenan's kind of selling it too as well but he's not trying also not to get involved mm. yeah indeed and um, this last hour is is pretty stacked wrestling wise to be fair uh, because we go straight into another contest danny don't we we have yep. hard work bobby walker okay and he is facing the always amazing brad armstrong uh, Eric Bischoff um, again references that thing that he wasn't <laughs> going to reference and says, if you've just joined us, you may have heard we've had a bit of an interruption. We won't name names. Does I don't want to incur the wrath of all the legal teams, which is quite ironic, really, because that's exactly what he does. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of legal teams, did you notice um, Hard Work Bobby Walker's theme song that it was a ripoff of? No, I didn't. It was a ripoff of Eye of the Tiger if, from the Rocky films. Fantastic. Uh, another, <laughs> w- was it another sort of Jimmy Hart-esque style remix or rewrite of a famous tune? Yes, it was. I could definitely hear the um, the iconic opening and also like the, how the instruments were very much similar. So as I was listening to this and also the way Bobby Walker was dressed, he was kind of dressed like a boxer on his, in- on his uh, entrance. He had the towel and everything and the robe. Um <sighs> Yeah, at least we know what his character is. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they talk about Bobby Walker being a, uh, I suppose, a graduate or, or whatever from the power plant, their training facility. I mean, this is partially true. He worked at the power plant, but he'd actually been on WSW TV since the much earlier 90s, 92-ish, I believe he was wrestling oh, wow. on Saturday night. Um, he would primarily wrestle as uh, as a you know not an enhancement talent but the step above i suppose like like virgil or or whoever yeah. on wwf tv when the the big heel has vanquished all the enhancement talents they move on to the likes of virgil and so on before moving up the card bobby walker was of that kind of ilk he would himself occasionally defeat enhancement talent himself 
but that was kind of all he ever really did in the wrestling business and retired in in 2000 when he was released from wcw so he was around a great deal but we don't see much of the guy yeah. uh, brad armstrong of course we've sang the praises of numerous occasions when we've seen him it's just if he had a personality that guy would be top of the card all the time i would imagine big time mate uh, the match is, is is pretty decent, I think, Danny. We get a few errors from Bobby Walker. He's trying to do things here in 96 that I think are pretty spectacular in comparison to when you look at the likes of Shark versus Giant, for example. He's he's jumping off the floor to the top rope and springing around all over the place. So something you, you wouldn't be wouldn't be amiss seeing in a, a Young Bucks match now in AEW, for example, but this is 1996, so it's quite quite spectacular. However, yeah. he just mistimes it a few times and just slips off the rope here and there. So it doesn't quite work out as spectacular as maybe it should, Danny? Yeah, it, you can definitely see that. It's like, okay, we put these out here just to kind of feel, not necessarily feel, feel time, but also at the same time feel time. And um, one thing I noted about this match was Eric Bischoff announcing that we're going to have Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio at the Great American Bash pay-per-view. Indeed, for Rey Mysterio's debut, actually. Yeah. We won't see him before then. This is his first WCW contest. I'm very much excited to see that. And um, it just goes back to what we were saying about the um, hype of pay-per-views where they failed in the past. This is a great way of putting it because this is a cruiserweight match. Mm. Um, just chucking it in there, as I mentioned. And then, yeah, we're, we're excited to see Dean versus Ray. Yes, indeed. And uh, spoiler alert. It's fucking brilliant. But we'll get to that in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> ultimately, uh, Mr. Hardwork himself wins this match with a weird kind of flying something. A flying shoulder. Um, I wrote down flying shoulder takedown and then gets the pin. Yeah, we'll go with that. I'm not yeah. sure what it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, straight away, though, we, we have another wrestling match. Uh, this is a actual wrestling match. We mm. have... Stephen Regal, accompanied by his second, his aide, his butler, I guess, Jeeves, and he is taking on Alex Wright. Now, the match itself, it, I encourage people to go and take a look at because Regal is superb in all his heel mannerisms, the the finger behind the bicep to make his muscle look bigger, the facial expressions, and all of that great stuff. The actual wrestling itself is very good. We get a lot of wrist locks um, back and forth early on. Uh, a test of strength that is countered very quickly into another wrist lock. Alex Wright was some pretty spectacular. I suppose I suppose you would refer to them as flying head scissors, but he's not he's not using the upper parts of his legs. He's using more the ankles to take Regal down. Um, Regal ultimately goes on to win the match with a cradle and a roll up and a neck bridge, which is pretty spectacular. And then we have a promo with him and Mean Gene. But before we get to that, halfway through this match. Blood runs cold, Danny. Yeah, a new intro um, that says Glacier on it. And um, yeah, I found that very, very interesting because um, it wasn't like the other teasers. This was actually a bit longer, wasn't it? It was. It was. And it says Glacier is coming to WCW. Glacier, like the mints. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and a concession stand now. Get your new NWO t-shirt and a pack of mints. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, those, those uh, polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Regal here 
cuts a, I, I think a very good promo to be honest he's talking mm. about the state of wcw and the people involved with the company he refers to sting as a painted faced bloody clown uh <laughs> the our champion is apparently a circus freak in the giant. He refers to Alex Wright as Junior Adolf, which was a bit oof, a bit close to the bone yeah. there, I think, wasn't it? Uh, but effectively puts out a challenge to the painted-faced bloody clown and says he wants to defeat Sting in the middle of the ring because then perhaps people will take notice of him, Danny. I love this because me and Gene, before he gave the microphone to William Regal, um, kind of... Uh, encouraged Regal to cut an anti-American promo, but Regal mm. flip, he flipped it completely, 180, and just did a um, like a, just as you said, the state of WCW and address of WCW was like he's frustrated. So you could call this a, a pipe bomb. Yeah, I, was, I guess. I guess Maybe it was a, it was a very <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was good. It was excellent. Regal's yeah. very very good, isn't he? Yeah, and he didn't, uh, not once did he cut an anti-American promo, which we're all so, so tired of seeing and hearing. It's, I mean, the whole anti-American thing, it's very easy to Mm. point the finger at the WWF or even WCW at times with their whole USA, USA. I mean, Hogan was a big factor in that in the 80s and 90s. It's very easy to point the finger at these companies and and moan and, and gripe about it. However, it's been done for decades. Yeah. In the 1950s, late 40s, 50s, there were Japanese and German heels in wrestling in in the territory days. Yeah. Because obviously of the Second World War and so on. And that drew huge heat. And obviously, huge heat equals money at the gate. So having the American hero, the local boy, vanquish the the evil German, you know, heel wrestler or whatever. I mean, there's I won't get into it now, but it's a conversation we can have another time, Danny. There's quite a famous character in wrestling from the territory days who wore Nazi gear and had swastikas all over him and so on. It drew masses, you know, right or wrongly, I'm going to say wrongly, it drew masses amount of heat, which then equates to big money throughout the 80s. It was all about the Russians. You had the Cold War between the US and, and the the USSR. All the heels were Russian because it played upon real-life animosity between the two countries and, I suppose, strong patriotism and mild racism. And again, that equated to heat for the heel, you know, support for the babyface, which again equated to money at the gate. So... Yeah. It's a very tried and tested way of setting up an angle where I suppose quite minimal amounts of effort, really. It doesn't take a booking genius to write a story that that fits around that kind of scenario. But it's always made money. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's different. It, it, it probably would work in certain areas and in, in certain markets, but on a more national scale, it wouldn't work that way anymore. But going back to those days of the forties, the fifties, the sixties into the eighties and so on with the, the bad guy threat to the United States in the real world being played upon as the bad guy threat in, a, in a, even, especially in the local territory days, it, it, it meant money. So yeah. whereas, whereas it can be a bit of a lazy plotline it can be a bit of a lazy script tool crutch crutch yeah potentially there's history of it always making money yeah. so 
I can understand why, if it's always worked, why companies went back to it for quite a while. Yeah, I'll get you, mate. Yeah. That takes us to our main event then, and our face-painted clown of Sting. And he is <laughs> facing the... My God, the size of this dude. He is facing Scott Steiner in singles action. He's massive. I'm telling you, Sai, every week this man is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just... When is he going to stop? <laughs> when he pops like a big balloon um, <laughs> steiner is huge here and but he's still quick he's still moving like he's smaller and i'm looking at this guy here against sting and i'm like man they should have put the world title on him around this time oh that would have been so good really really good if you put him where the giant is right now get rid of all that dungeon of doom stuff and put him where the giant <laughs> is that would have been brilliant him versus lex luger at the great american bash oh Man, that would have been brilliant. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we get a press slam by Scott Steiner on Sting. My brother of mine, Sting's a massive fella. He's two hundred and sixty odd pounds. He's six foot four, six foot five, whatever. Yeah. Steiner picks Steiner picks him up like he's throwing a little child around. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? I found it funny that these two were wearing the exact same colours as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Sting's face paint even matched Steiner's ring gear. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. <laughs> uh, Sting goes on to show that his size isn't a hindrance to him either, as he hit, as he you know does a couple of leapfrogs and hits a pretty spectacular drop kick on Scott Steiner. Uh, Steiner then, I suppose, ups the ante a bit more when he comes off the top rope to the outside, uh, very Macho Man esque with a double axe handle. We get a belly to belly overhead suplex by Scott Steiner on Sting, which always looks incredible to me. And then the STF by Scott Steiner. On Sting. What did you think of this, Danny? Really, really impressive because I think the bigger a wrestler's arms, the more effective it looks. Um, yeah, it looked like Sting's head was going to about to squeeze off, didn't it? It did, yes. <laughs> Eventually, this you know this this sort of breaks down, and by way of a counter or a desperation move, Sting hits a. I suppose upside down DDT would be one way of wording it, which goes on to be the Scorpion death drop later in his career. Uh, he misses a stinger splash, however, and Scott Steiner hits a really nasty looking dragon suplex to which Lex Luger arrives. Mick Steiner quickly follows and Steiner again comes off the, the well, he's on the middle rope. Sting is on the top with what looks like a kind of almost like an angle slam, Danny. Yeah, it really looked um, really looked painful as well. Mm. Yes, it did indeed. Um, Steiner signals for the Frankensteiner, uh, misses it, gets put in the Scorpion leg lock, but is too close to the ropes. We get a tombstone attempt by Scott Steiner, who counter that is countered. Apologies, that is countered by Sting into a tombstone of his own for two. Uh, Lex Luger then stops a suplex on the outside of the ring. And Lex Luger and Rick Steiner start fighting. This then spills into the ring. We get a mass brawl between all four guys. The match is thrown out. Wrestlers come out the back, and it's just absolute chaos and bedlam as they're trying to keep the four guys separate from fighting and so on. So I think we're going to get the Steiners versus Sting and Luger for the tag belts, and I am all about that, Danny. Me too, mate. I mean, that that's definitely the seeds are being planted for that, and I'm really enjoying this journey. Exactly. That brings us then to the close of Nitro. I mean, it's a great chaotic scene as the camera spans away from the ring. 
it, it, you know, nothing's concluded between these four, which makes yeah. people want to tune in the following week, I guess. It's quite a clever little trope there. We have Scott Steiner brawling with Sting, Luger, Rick Steiner, and so on. It's just absolute bedlam. Bodies everywhere. Really cleverly done. But yeah. back to the commentary table. And Scott Hall arrives. In a way, quite politely, because he has been told by Eric Bischoff just to wait till the end of the show, which is what he's done. So fair play to yeah. Scott for showing some manners there. Um, <laughs> and we get the second part of this initial first step in the invasion, I guess. And Scott Hall says that we are sick of Bischoff's big mouth, to which Bischoff responds, who's we? Who's we? And Scott Hall just says, oh, you know. Again, hinting at it being the WWF. Scott Hall also references coming down safe to take over, which is quite a clever little touch back to, uh, again, the more territory days or, or where the, the, the border lines were drawn with regards to the WWF being referred to as up north or New York and down safe, Jim Crockett promotions, the NWA and so on, being referred to as just that, down safe. Uh, Scott Hall does say, though, we are, we are taking over. But we're going to do this properly, not on a microphone, not in magazines, not in dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring. Three of your guys versus us. Yeah. And then Scott Hall just kind of leaves and Bischoff and Heenan sell this amazingly, looking around, not really knowing what to do and say, take off their headsets. And that's the end of the show. And again, it felt so real. Danny, yes. this final segment on this this historic, iconic episode of Monday Nitro. What did you think? Hey, looky here. You wanted to say... you got such a big mouth. And we, we are sick of it. What do you mean, who's we? You know who. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what, you go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. Hey, maybe, maybe he get the Stinger. Ooh, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want, because we... What do you mean, we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring, where it matters. Not on no microphones. Not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring where it matters. If, uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any, uh, any guts, because we are coming down here. You're stepping over the line. And like it or not, not. we are taking over. You're out of here. You're out of here.
We'll see you next week. I loved this. I'd never seen this before. Um, I didn't know this actually happened. I thought maybe Scott Hall had been chucked out of the building or something like that or um, something, something. But I loved the fact that he's, I guarantee you, not once in the WWF did he ever say dirt sheets in a promo. <laughs> so yes. this felt very, right. very real. Um, yeah, almost too real, I would say, because it was like, oh, wow, like, just what's he going to do next? And, and who is we? Um, I found that very interesting as well because it just keeps fans guessing. I mean, we know who it is in hindsight, but it's like, imagine watching this in 96. You could think, oh, if he turned up from WWF, who else could turn up? Could Shawn Michaels turn up? Could Vader turn up? Could anyone? They, they could. Their minds must have been going wild. And we know Dave Meltzer's mind was going wild because he, he thought Viscera was going to jump um, ship. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I loved this. Yeah, very, very... And first time seeing this, fantastic. But I also loved what... I loved more was when Scott Hall threw the do- the toothpick, he actually hit Bobby Heenan instead <laughs> of Eric <laughs> <Yeah>. Bischoff. <laughs> Bit more practice, Scott. You're yeah. off. <laughs> I think it's quite important as well to point out that whereas Scott Hall is mentioning the Nacho Man and billionaire Ted and mm. Sting and oh that was something else as well he mentioned uh, you know you can get the Nacho Man you can get Sting and then he went ooh I'm so scared just brilliant sarcasm but he's referencing all these different people but the whole time with regards to his first promo in the ring and this here he's directly talking to bischoff yeah now we know bischoff is running the company at this point but that wasn't common knowledge to the average fan watching at at this stage in 1996 so that again is another little peek behind the curtain here that he is directing all of his his slander, his his comments, and his challenge, ultimately, he is directing it to Eric Bischoff himself, the guy who's running the company. He's not talking to the wrestlers. He's not running his mouth in, as a general uh, rant, etc. He's talking directly to Bischoff. And that, I think, is very important. Because it is Bischoff, ultimately, who spent a lot of his time running his mouth about the WWF on commentary, giving away their results, and effectively poking the bear. So from an outside looking in aspect, Bischoff has pissed off the WWF and the WWF are sending guys down to sort him out. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. That really does. Really, really well done. Uh, So then, Danny, that concludes this episode of Monday Nitro. It's gonna. It, I'm really looking forward to getting into the next few weeks with you as we go to the Great American Bash and then we build to Bash at the Beach as well. It's going to be some fantastic television to discuss. There's so many moving parts. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to sitting down and recording our night uh, and our Nitro Nights NWO special in a few weeks' time as well, which will fill in some of the more, um, I suppose, intricate details and backstage goings on around this time. And I hope people are, are looking forward to hearing that. But before we depart, my friend. We need to rate this show. We need to give our plus points and our bad points, our woos and our oh brothers, and then, you know, decide whether this gets uh, hit, miss, or middling. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, brother. Danny, do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, sir. You carry on, bud. So the woo definitely has to be, um, this goes without saying, has to be the Scott Hall debut. 
um it's just iconic wasn't it i mean it's the biggest thing that happened on this show yeah it would be the scott hall debut yes okay okay fair enough i agree the the woo for me is obviously the scott hall debut because it's just incredible it, it it's history we're literally re-watching history and it changed not just wcw it changed the wrestling business mm. everything from this night and not just this night to the surrounding times with regards to Hall and Nash's contracts and the money they earned and how their contracts were structured. It changed everything for WCW, which then, yeah. by a domino effect, changed everything for the WWF. Um, wrestling just was different and was never to be the same again. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. My woo, 100%, is the arrival of Scott Hall. Uh, your oh brother, my friend, your negative... I struggled with this because this was such a fantastic episode of Nitro, but I had to really dig and I'll have to say it's the DDP uh, being pushed down. What I kind of ranted about earlier. Um, okay. Yeah, it would be DDP kind of being on the back burner. Um, what's yours, Fair mate? Enough. Mine would be, and I hate to say this because when I was a kid, I loved this guy, but mine would have to be um, John Tenter as the shark. Mm. And the world title match was just not very good. Hopefully we we can go into something a bit more entertaining as he works with Big Bubba. I'm not holding out much hope, but hopefully it'll be <laughs> a bit better than what we saw earlier. Uh, but yeah, my my old brother, my negative is is the shark this week, my friend. Yeah, I get you, mate. Hit miss or middling then, bud? Big hit uh, this week. Um, there was a lot of good matches. Um, I loved the fact that the commentary teams were were um, switched up, and I liked that Eric Bischoff was uh, a big part of this Nitro as well. He's becoming more of a character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a big, big hit this week. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, I'm going hit as well. I think that not only is it a a big landmark moment with regards to the Scott Hall stuff, I think Eric Bischoff's performance was fantastic throughout. I think that I mean, seeing Tony and Larry Zabisco on commentary was great as well. I think considering this, this, this episode of Nitro, sorry, is famous for non-wrestling aspects there's a lot of good wrestling on the show as well that kind of gets forgotten about or overshadowed by mr hall's arrival sting versus scott steiner was good Uh, alex wright versus regal was good the opener was good the even the match between armstrong and um mr workhorse or whatever his silly bloody name is bobby walker that's the one Uh, even that despite there being a few slips and missed and timing issues was still worth watching there's a lot of wrestling on this wrestling show as well as the obvious, you know, the Scott Hall arrival is is the the glaringly obvious highlight of this program. But a lot goes on in the ring to keep you entertained from start to finish as well. So, you know, well done, WCW. This was a very, very good television program. Definitely, mate. Can they keep the momentum rolling? Well, let's see what happens next week. Danny, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend, and all the fantastic shows you are involved in? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell where we'll be looking at more NWR. 
We will indeed. We will indeed. You can follow this show online at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. But also, it's very important that you are following the network that carries this program. And that's SJP World Media. Check that out on all your podcast players, platforms, providers, etc. Make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode from SJP World Media. And that includes an episode of Nitro Nights. We have Chain Wrestling coming out every week, live on a Monday night and a podcast version later in the week on a Wednesday morning. We have another sort of look back show by show format uh, podcast as well, where I sit down with the King Joshua Goodwin and review NXT from the black and gold era, the, the rise and fall, I guess, of that fantastic company there. We have people looking at modern day wrestling. If the sort of nostalgia aspect is not for you, we have Regularly scheduled hostilities from the United States. The trio of awesome people there looking at WWE week by week. And Mr. Benny Mac. And, uh, well, he comes to you twice a week on a Sunday and a Wednesday with In the Corner. Going on a little hiatus until the new year as I talk to you now, but it will return in January. Uh, Sundays, he is looking very much at that week's SmackDown on his own. And on a Wednesday, he is joined by the always awesome Tyler Peters to look at that episode, that week's episode of Monday Night Raw and any potential pay-per-views that are live events, I guess, whatever they bloody call them now, that have occurred. There's so much going on on the network. Make sure you are following that on all your podcast players. Give us a, you know, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, Give us a review and so on. It makes such a difference to the network people doing that subscribing and putting out reviews and also checking out our merch store which is online on all of our shows social media accounts there as well Uh, and you can follow the network online at sjp world media that's at sjp world media on facebook and twitter so make sure you're following us there danny i've loved this i can't wait to get into next week me too mate i'll see you next week and to everyone else as always Thank you for listening.